0: We're spending this uh, spring season and and into our summer season in this uh, letter that Paul, who was a very important early church leader, wrote uh, to a group of churches uh, in the region of what was then called Asia Minor, roughly uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And we're seeing that Paul writes to us, to them and ultimately to us, about what it means to live after the resurrection. So the tomb is empty. What now? What does that mean for us as individuals? And perhaps even more importantly, what does that mean for us as a community? What does that mean for the church? And we'll see today that it means for us, one of the things it means for us is a life of prayer. And so would you join me in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. I'll read to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 1 verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Father, what powerful words to hear of of your Son raised and seated above all powers, above all names, ruling over all things. What powerful words, but I have to admit, I don't know if I... Feel their power. I don't know if I understand their power. I don't know if I experience their power. And I'd imagine that's true of many who sit here with me in this room. And so we come to these words needing your help. We come trusting that they are gifts from you that you accompany them by the work of your Holy Spirit, that they are life for us. And so would you humble us before this message? Would you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us? And may we not only understand, but experience the power of the gospel this morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For me, prayer can feel like being in a fairy tale. It's like I've got my three wishes. But I'm not really sure what to ask for. Because first of all, it all feels like make-believe. And second of all... I've heard enough fairy tales to know that wishing rarely turns out well. People always ask for the wrong things, or they ask for the right things in the wrong way. Wishing rarely turns out well, and so, I'll be honest, prayer has an awkwardness for me. Maybe you can relate. You feel that confusion, that uncertainty when it comes to prayer. We know it's a good thing, right? We feel guilty that we don't pray enough. And then when we try, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to ask for. Often we find ourselves at a loss for words when we sit down and speak with God. Yes, we should praise Him, but we know that we should Ask him for things. So what should we ask him for in prayer? Well, Paul can help us. Paul was not afraid or ashamed to ask things of God. Paul was not timid in wishing, in conversation with God. And so as he prays here in chapter one, as he prays for the church, he prays not only for communities in ancient Asia Minor, but he prays for communities in modern day Tallahassee. And so I want to listen to this prayer and I want to let Paul teach us what we should want, what we should want from God, what we should want for ourselves, what we should want for each other. And so let's look at this prayer together and ask a couple of questions. First, what should we ask for? And second, why should we ask for it? First of all, what? What should we ask for in prayer? There are several good candidates for prayer requests in verse 18. Words like inheritance and riches. Wealth. Maybe that's what we should ask for. And, of course, Paul's talking about more than money. Remember this word inheritance. It is a powerfully important one in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the inheritance was God's promise of a land to his people. In the New Testament, that promise is expanded to include all creation renewed, without sin, without sorrow, without sickness, and without death. So listen, when you long for peace, when you long for rest, when you long for justice, when you long for wholeness, you're longing for this inheritance. You are longing for the wealth that Paul is here talking about. So maybe we should ask for that. Maybe we should ask for the gloriously rich inheritance. Problem is, those are good things promised by God to us, but they are not Paul's prayer requests. It's not what he asks for. His requests are found earlier in the text in verse 17. He prays for wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, for revelation and for knowledge. You see... Paul wants, a, he wants for us a trip to the eye doctor. Paul doesn't want us to have something. He wants us to see something. It's interesting. He addresses this prayer to the Father of glory. He addresses it to God as the Father of glory. In the Bible, glory is almost always described as light. And so he... Praise to the Father of light that he would enlighten our hearts. Enlighten us to what? Calls us to see what? Hope. Expectation for the future. Expectation of what? Well, this gloriously rich inheritance. See, Paul doesn't want us to have something. He wants us to see what we already have. He wants us to see that we possess a sure and certain future. A future that is abundantly good. That's what he asks for. He wants us to see that. He wants us to experience that. He wants us to know that we possess that. That's what he prays for. Why? Of all the things that he could ask of God, why is that so important to Pastor Paul that we have wisdom, revelation and knowledge? Why is that so important? To him? We well, need to understand something about the original readers of this letter, the people who lived in Ephesus and in the cities surrounding Ephesus would have lived in a persistent dread about the future. And we know this because of the economy of the city of Ephesus. It was an economy that was driven by two things. It was driven by astrology and magic. The economy of Ephesus was driven by the attempt to know the future by reading the stars... And the attempt to manipulate the future by a connection to spiritual powers. Paul wants to teach them a different perspective on the future. He asked God to give them a different perspective on the future. And we hear that and we smirk at their ancient ignorance. But let me ask you this. With all of our advances in science and technology, all of the learning that makes us laugh at things like astrology and magic, with all of those advances, how anxious are you about the future? How anxious are you about the future? The answer is very. The answer is a lot. The answer is on a scale to 1, it's one to 10, it's 13 <laughs> and so Paul asks God to give us a different perspective on the future. That it is not something that is out in front of us uncertain and frightening. But it is out in front of us a certain, good, gloriously rich inheritance. That is what we have. We do not have to look to the future with fear. We can walk into the future with confidence. So Paul asked God, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts to that sure and certain and good future. This all reminds me of Elisha. Remember Elisha from the Old Testament? He was a prophet and he was also a spy. The enemy army would set ambushes. God would... Tell Elisha where those ambushes were. And then Elisha would tell the Israelite army and they would go in a different direction. Now the enemy king, he, he got tired of this game. And he found out what was happening. And so he sent his entire army to Dothan, not Alabama. Dothan, the place in Israel where Elisha was staying. The entire, this huge army comes for one man. Surrounds that city in the middle of the night. Elisha's servant, he wakes up and he goes out to do his business in the morning and he sees this army. And understandably, he freaks out. He runs back into the house. He shakes Elisha. He wakes him up and he says, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, calm down. Let's pray. And what does Elisha pray for? Do you remember? What does Elisha pray for first? He doesn't say, oh God, protect us from this huge and powerful army. No, he says, oh God, would you open the eyes of my servant? And then his servant looks up and sees surrounding the enemy army was an army of angels and blazing chariots. And in that moment, his fear Becomes hope. Paul praying for us here. Is Elisha praying for his servant. Open their eyes. And we should join that prayer. For ourselves. For each other. Would you pray that for me? Because I get scared too. About the future. You pray that for yourself. Would you pray that for those sitting around you that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that he would give us eyes of expectation because our story belongs to his promise, to the promise of an unimaginably wealthy inheritance. Now, is this just daydreaming? Is, this, is prayer just a fantasy that helps us escape the harsh realities of daily life? To speak of a creation renewed, without pain, without suffering, without death. To pray for an expectation of that. Is that just escapist fantasy? Well, let's ask a second question. Not only what should we pray for, we should pray for hope, for eyes of expectation, but why should we pray for that? Notice that Paul asks for an awareness not only of wealth, but also of power, verse 19. Paul asked God to reveal to us not only our inheritance, but the immeasurable greatness of his power. Not only his promises, but his ability to keep those promises. And as soon as Paul begins to talk about power, he has to talk about a person. He doesn't talk about God's ability in general. He doesn't say, hey, God is omnipotent and so trust him. He says God is mighty in a particular way or better. God is mighty in a particular person. Because God has exercised his immeasurable strength in raising Jesus from the dead, in seating him high above all other powers over Caesar in Rome, over the goddess Artemis in Ephesus. Christ is seated over all pretense to power in our world. He sits above all of those who would claim reputation and influence and control. And that exercise of power isn't just an event in the past because God not only raised Jesus up seated him in heaven to rule. But now Jesus has poured out his spirit and is at work filling the world, filling the world with God's powerful, transformative, resurrecting, life-giving, peace-making presence. And he's doing that in you. He is doing that through us. Center Point Church, God gave Christ to us as our head so that we become his body so that he can fill the world with God's glory. That's why praying isn't daydreaming. That's why prayer isn't an escapist fantasy because it is access to the power of God. God not only made a plan, but he took on a body to enact that plan. And he continues to enact that plan today, right now in our life together. We can ask for an awareness of the future because of the accomplishments of Christ in the past and in the present. You see, when we lift up our enlightened eyes like Elisha's servants, we don't see an angelic army. We see the risen king ascended, seated, ruling, filling the world with God's glory in us and through us. That's why we should pray Because it makes us a part of that story. Because it brings us into contact with that power. God's ability to take death and make it life. Not only for one man, but for all creation. That's why we should pray. We will ask for and live in hope. As we are focused on the power of God revealed and displayed in Jesus. As we do not focus on God's power revealed in Jesus. As we focus on our own power. We will surrender to cynicism. God's power, hope. Our power, cynicism. Prayer is an attack on our scarcity mindset. Prayer is resistance to our scarcity mindset. We live so often, like, like me, as, as a kid. After those major candy holidays, so Halloween and Easter, as a kid, I was a hoarder. I would look at my stash of candy. And instead of seeing what I had, I saw how quickly it could go away. And so I hoarded it, I I hid it. I I wouldn't be surprised if my mom is still finding candy in drawers and closets in our house. Because I was so afraid that it would run out. How often do we live like that? We look at our stash of time, Of energy, of ability, of the skill to change or to change other people. And we're scared that we're going to run out. And we live with clenched fists. Afraid to step into the story into which God calls us. Because we're looking at our power. We're looking at our ability. And we're scared that it's going to run out. We're looking at the wrong stash. Prayer invites us to see instead of our finite capacity to see the infinite might of God revealed in the empty tomb, in Christ ruling from heaven even now, in the gift of his spirit by which he fills the world with his glory. Prayer is the invitation to turn with our emptiness to Christ's immeasurable fullness. That's why you should pray. That's what will teach you to pray. It is when you put on the eyes of the ascension of Jesus. You stand with his disciples as he is seeing him as he ascended into heaven and know that he rules from there now over everything that scares us and has given to us God's own resurrecting presence. That will teach you to pray. You see, because of Jesus, when we pray, we don't talk to a genie in a fairy tale who is waiting for us to make a mistake. No, because of Jesus in prayer, we bow before our loving and powerful Father who not only makes promises to us, but by his immeasurable might, keeps those promises. So, will you call out to him and ask him to enlighten the eyes of your heart? Let's pray.